21, Revelation chapter 21, looking at verses 1 through 8. Um, Before we turn and stand to read as we normally do, I just want to address our new year and prepare our hearts. Uh, Most of us would agree that there's not a substantial difference between December 31st and January 1st, but there is a sense in which a new year marks a time of expectation and excitement. We have new resolves to eat better, to exercise more, to get more quality sleep, read our Bibles, volunteer more, and hopefully have a better year than the previous years. Now, some will criticize this and you know this type of optimism of beginning a new year with your plans and whatnot, your goals and your resolutions, but I think that there's something important about this desire to have something better. I hope that the new year and all the potential that comes with it will make for a better time. I actually think it's a longing that everyone has for new creation. Or to put it another way, our longing is something that really looks beyond a new year. And it's our desire for what Scripture calls heaven, glory, even when we are not completely conscious of it or we articulate it that way. All of us are longing for eternal life, to no longer be filled with sadness or sorrow. Uh, There's a really wonderful, wonderful book. And I want to go ahead and encourage you, if you've ever lost anyone and you're wondering about ways to reflect upon what heaven is like, there is a wonderful book called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. And he answers all kinds of questions about heaven. It's all biblically based. But one of the things I appreciate, he talks about this shared desire among humanity for heaven, this new heavens and new earth, this new beginning that we are promised. He says, the sense that we will live forever somewhere has shaped every civilization in human history. He talks about the Australian Aborigines pictured heaven as a distant island beyond the western horizon. The early Finns thought it was a distant island in the far away east. Mexicans, Peruvians, and Polynesians believed that they went to the sun or the moon after death. Native Americans believed that in the afterlife their spirits would hunt the spirits of buffalo. Then some of you may have heard the Gilgamesh epic. A Babylonian legend refers to a resting place of heroes and hence at a tree of life. In the pyramids of Egypt, they embalmed bodies that had maps beside them to guide them to the future world. The Romans believed that the righteous would picnic in a place called Elysian Fields while their horses grazed nearby. Seneca, a Roman philosopher, said this, The day thou fearest as the last is the birthday of eternity. Although these depictions of the afterlife differ, the unifying testament of the human heart Throughout history is belief in life after death. Anthropological evidence suggests that every culture has a God-given innate sense of the eternal, that this world is not all there is. I think that whenever we think of a new year and we think of our goals and our plans, we're thinking of the next 12 months, but we're really thinking and longing and looking for something beyond that, something of substance, something that's going to make things better. And so as we contemplate a new year full of new opportunities and potential, I want us to embark on those new goals with a fresh hope. And I do not want us to miss what these desires are actually pointing us to. While they excite us in the moment, they ultimately are pointing us beyond our present days to a deeper longing, what I would call a new beginning. To that end, I'm going to invite you to turn your attention to Revelation chapter 21 as we read verses 1 through 8 and invite you to stand with me out of respect for the reading of the Word of God. Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 through 8. That's what God's Word says. 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly and the unbelieving, the vile, the murderous, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. You may be seated as we go to the Lord and ask his blessing upon this time this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we submit ourselves under your word. Lord, it's a great place to begin this new year is in submission to you and what you have taught us. I pray that you would grant me clarity of speech, Lord. Give us attentive hearts. Guard me for error, from error, Lord. Bless this morning. In Jesus' holy name, we ask and pray. Amen. I'm going to give you just a little bit of interpretive background, and then I want to point out two things in this passage that point us to the hope that we desperately need. This morning's passage describes this new beginning that God has promised for all of his people. The new beginning is comprised of a new heaven and new earth, which will no longer be full of sorrow and sadness that evil and sin brought into the first heaven and the first earth. The new beginning is God's work. And unlike the first heaven and the first earth, which were marred and corrupted by humanity's rebellion, this new heaven and this new earth will not be susceptible to corruption because it has been secured for us through Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15 when he spoke of Jesus being the last Adam. He had the first Adam and through the first Adam came sin and death and judgment. But through the last Adam, the final Adam, comes life and salvation. The new heavens, the new earth, the new beginning that is ours in Christ is promised to us and secured to us through Christ himself. So what are a few of the things that we see in this passage that ought to stir us as we long for some newness, we long for something better in our present world? The first thing I want us to see in verses 1 through 4 is God's healing presence in this new beginning. God's healing presence in this new beginning. Looking at verses 1 through 4. Like so many other passages in the book of Revelation... We have, and by the way, too, just, just to, I'm going to go ahead and throw this, this is an aside. This will help you out. It is the book of Revelation. It is not the book of Revelations, okay? And I'm saying that because somewhere along the way, we pluralized it, and even educated people get up there and they say, we're going to turn to the book of Revelations. The book of Revelations is not in your Bible. The book of Revelation is, and so if you want to sound smart at your small group that you're going to join Next year, you're going to say Revelation, not Revelations, okay? So just, just an aside, I want to help you out. It's not plural. But if you want to understand the book of Revelation, and now I have to be careful not to say it and you judge me. 
you have to understand something of the Old Testament prophecies that are used and quoted within the book. So in verses 1 through 4, John is drawing upon imagery from Isaiah 65, verses 17 through 25. Now, I'm not going to read all of 17 through 25, but I want to just highlight a few of the things that Isaiah 65, 7 through 25 mentioned that you will see in the language of Revelation 21, 1 through 4. The sovereign Lord says, See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. And the sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Then he goes on to make some examples and draw imagery of how we're going to experience a a peace that is contrary to the nature that we are often familiar with. In verse 25, the wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. That, that is a change of nature for the lion. And the dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy any on my holy mountain. These are images of peace and newness that we have never seen or experienced before. And John takes that language and brings it over into Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, and he sees that all of these things are the result of God's presence among his people. God himself will wipe away every tear from our eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the older order of things has passed away. Death, sorrow, sadness, pain are all a part of an older order that will pass away when God himself dwells among his people. So when John refers to these things as no longer being present, he's saying that the presence of God will drive these things out. Now, you may be reading this and wondering, why, why is it that he says there'll be no more sea? I enjoy going to the sea. Like, does this mean there's not going to be bodies of water in the new heavens and new earth? I think that the language that John is using is he's drawing upon the ancient view of the sea. Now, for us, you know, we get in a boat, we, we, we're not incredibly intimidated unless we get in the middle of a storm. But if you've ever stood at, at, at the edge of the ocean or the edge of a great sea, and it's just as big as you can be, you can imagine that if you'd never been on a nice big boat with GPS and sonar and all those types of things, that, that would be a pretty dangerous thing. You probably would have known people that left and never came back. So the image of a sea is not that there's no bodies of water, but the idea is that all that you dread and fear, that unknowable thing that you can't conquer and you can't dominate, will be gone. There will be a perfect peace secured by the presence of God. That God himself will remove the things that cause anxiety and dread and fear will be renewed. We will dwell with God in perfect peace. I love what one commentator said, William Mounts. He he says, abolished forever are the debilitating effects of sin. Death, mourning, crying, and pain are all part of this older order of things that have now passed away. They belong to a previous order that has now become history. I, I, I I love that thought. That, that there's coming a day when, now, 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 now granting, uh, Isaiah says we will remember these things no more. I, I tend to think that doesn't mean that we won't have any 
knowledge of what the past was, but that we will have no experiential um, acquaintance with it. It will be something of the past that we have an awareness of, but it's not currently something that we are living in. And when I, when I was thinking about this passage, uh, I was thinking the other day about how we used to plan trips. Now, I can remember, now there's a generation here that planned trips differently the way I'm going to describe it, so this is going to show you even the gap. But I can remember wanting to go to Pettyjean State Park in Moralton, Arkansas, in college. And what we would do to plan that trip is we would go to a website called MapQuest. We would put in our location, and then we would put in our destination, and we would print out 15 pages of notes that told you every turn, and even eventually MapQuest got more advanced, and it would have a picture, like you're on the right road. Now, if you deviated, you had a problem. And I, can, I can remember talking to my kids about this, and they were like, you, you, you would print out the instructions? Now, it blew their mind to think that Hannah, uh, being the good homeschooler that she was, she will tell you she was an expert in marks, in maps, charts, and graphs. And so she was kind of like the navigator for her family. And they had the big atlas. You know the big atlas that you would pull out? It's like, this is how we were going to find it. Some of you know what I'm talking about. But that's how, that's how we would, would plan trips, either with an atlas or a big, big map in an area, or we would use MapQuest. Those are things of, of history. We, we don't, we don't I, this past week when I took off to go home, I didn't go, oh, I could print out the MapQuest instructions. Why? Because I've got a smartphone and a, and a GPS that's built into it with service that actually will reroute me whenever there's bad traffic. But this idea that, that these things have so changed, that technology has changed them in such a way and advanced so much, that, that that's, that, that's just, that's ancient history. I can recall it, I can think about it, but I would never go back to that way of life. I I think that there's something to be said for the fact that there's going to be such a change that happens in the new heavens and the new earth that we will look back on this, this, this sorrow and pain and sin and we will think to ourselves, that's history. Like these things don't happen anymore. And just be completely honest with you, I'm acutely aware of that this morning more than I typically am. Now, a few of you have, a few of you have been wondering when I was going to tell you what happened during Christmas, okay? And listen, many people have much harder weeks than the week I'm fixing to describe. I'm just saying that from Christmas morning until last night, I was ready to, to bid 2020 adieu. We left Sunday morning I'm just going to run through, like, this is what I can't wait for it to be history. We left Sunday morning after our worship service, which is a sweet time of worship. I'm so, so grateful for that time. So we left, we loaded up the cars, and we took off. We get on 290, and my tire is making a funny noise. It's like, ah, oh, it's no big deal. And then it stopped making a funny noise, and something ran up underneath my car, and my car started to drive smooth. And I called Hannah, I was like, hey, it's great. Whatever was wrong with my tire <laughs> fixed itself. Yeah, that's not how tires work. <laughs> we get right on the other side. Um, well, we're, we're all going to call it 59 forever, but, you know, the 69 corridor headed up. And my TPMS monitor comes on. I've got a tire that's going low. And I was like, oh, no big deal. So we stop at a gas station, fill it up. Hannah's like, you need to pull over. Okay, so we pull over at a gas station. Christmas morning, mind you, nothing's open. Get all of the gear out, get the tire out, and the lug nuts are not the same size 
as my tire wrench. So we drive to Livingston and Gabriel Jordan Ford, which is closed. I said, I'm just going to park it out front and drop the key off. And I did and just hope that they didn't tow it. Drop it off, great. We unload everything from my car into Hannah's car and we hit the road. So we've lost a car. We're down one car. We're an hour and a half into the trip. We get to Corrigan Camden and Hannah's oil pressure just drops out. I buy the only three bottles of 5W30 that was at the gas station, and the tire pressure, I mean, the, the, the oil pressure goes back up. Oh, it gets, it gets better, y'all. <laughs> it gets better. Get the tire, get all the oil pressure back up, and we start driving, and I've never prayed more in my life. <laughs> we turned on praise music, and, and just was like, we got to, like, at one point, we are like, we're going to celebrate Christmas in Lufkin. Like, that, that's what's going to happen. So we're driving, and we make it. But before we make it, the check engine light comes on. But it's like, okay, it's not flashing, so we can keep driving on it. We get there, great, fine. Things kind of normalize a little bit, all right? Celebrate Christmas with my family, then we, uh, with, with Hannah's family, and then we celebrate Christmas with, uh, her, uh, with my family. Her family on Christmas Day, my family on Christmas, um, the day after Christmas. Hannah, I'm sorry, I, I, this is just a week. Hannah is eating toffee and breaks one of her teeth. Again, just wonderful, right? Breaks one of her teeth, and so she has to go get it put back on the next day. We get, we get the tire, we, we get the car fixed, and we, we head home eventually on Friday, get my car back. It's like, okay, maybe everything is okay and fine, all right? We pull up, we get everything unpacked, Yesterday morning, I'm bringing Carter home from basketball practice, and we've been missing a cat for a week and a half, okay? And we thought, you know, the cat finally ran off, and we see the cat walking up to the house. We're like, you've got to be kidding me. The cat came back home, and we start to celebrate, and then the cat starts acting funny. We were like, what in the world is going on? And I kid you not, I kid you not, the cat walks up to the front door and starts eating, and the cat has an arrow in its left hind leg. Yes, somebody in my neighborhood shot my cat with an arrow. And the cat lived through the freeze and the arrow. So we took the cat to the ER, which, you know, got a lot of extra money at Christmas anyways, right? Okay, we're not done yet. Get the cat home all sewed up, and also we're going we're to celebrate the New Year's, and we're going to pop fireworks. One of my sons <laughs> is holding a Roman candle. Pew, pew. And on the third one, it didn't go, pew, it went, pew. blew up, did not harm him. I mean, it scared him, scared him really, really, really bad. And so by the end of the night, I said, can we just go to bed? <laughs> okay, nothing that I just described is life shattering. It's a little bit terrible that it happened in a week span of time. I'm looking forward to the day when that type of week is history, amen? 
I mean, you could probably go through and testify that. There's just so many reminders last week. This world is not as it should be. It's broken. And so we're longing for newness. And what we are reminded of is that this newness is going to come, and it's going to come as God himself dwells with us. Can you picture this? A world where death and tears and pain are history. One day we will be fellowshipping in the new heavens and the new earth. We will look back on that death, on that pain, and on that sorrow, and on those tears, and it will not be a part of our present experience. It will no longer be a part of our daily trial. We will dwell in a newness. We will enjoy a new beginning that Christ has secured for us. Would you say, what is the difference that that future hope makes for me today? I believe that John intended for this future promise of the dwelling of the Lord to encourage and strengthen believers to remain steadfast in trials. I think that's why he was writing to seven churches. His aim is for these churches and for us to be filled with hope and longing for the day when all the trouble that we experience will be done away with. That we would hope in God's healing presence in this glorious new beginning with new heavens and new earth. That we would be encouraged in the midst of the pain and in the suffering. Because we are reminded that as those have placed hope in Christ, pain and suffering do not last. Death does not get the last word over believers. One day the tears will stop. To quote Tim Keller, everything sad is going to become untrue and it will somehow be greater for having once been broken and lost. This is the difference that the presence of God makes among the people of God. So one of the things that we need to see in this passage is God's healing presence in this new beginning. There is nothing that his healing presence will not be able to overcome. The second thing, and this is shorter than the last that we see here, not only is God's healing presence in the new beginning, but God's creating power in this new beginning. Verse five, it teaches us about the absolute certainty of God's creative power to make right all the wrongs in the world through a new beginning in the new heavens and the new earth. John actually uses the present tense of the verb here, making, but it has a future orientation. It's as if he's saying God will most certainly make all things new. Now we have to acknowledge that in some very profound ways, this new beginning has already started. This new beginning started when Jesus Christ rose from the dead as the first fruit of resurrection, which you see in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 23. Furthermore, as believers, we have been united by faith through the Spirit to Christ, and we are also participants in this new creation, this new beginning, as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. Even while this new beginning has begun to invade our present time, the making new of all things will be brought to completion after the final judgment when the dead in Christ rise and inherit new incorruptible bodies to dwell in the new heavens and the new earth in the presence of God with all the saints. This is what Paul speaks to in 1 Corinthians 15 where he describes the death of death. What does this mean for us? What does it mean for us to see that God is absolutely going to fix all the brokenness? 
just like the seven churches to whom this letter was written. We are to hope in God and his salvation even as the world around us is passing away. We ought to orient our minds around the priorities of God's kingdom. Maybe what we should be praying for with a renewed strength and vigor this new year is his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are to endure hardship, even the persecution that may come as a result of following Jesus in this world. We are to hold fast to God's promises, hoping in his salvation. But who does this belong to? Who can claim to inherit such a glorious gift? And so where we come to our conclusion, we look at the end of this passage in verses 6 through 8. Who will enjoy God's healing presence and creative power in the new beginning of this new creation? It is the one who drinks of Christ's living water. It is the one who is victorious by faith. That is what John describes in verses 6 through 8. Those who place their trust in Jesus, they are the children of God. It is the children of God who will inherit the new heavens and the new earth. And they become children by faith in Christ. John speaks about this in greater specificity in John chapter 5 of his first epistle. So 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, John writes this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we, lo- we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commandments. Now at first glance, it could sound like that this passage means that we become children by obedience, but that's not what the passage says if you continue to read. In verses 3 through 5, In fact, this is the love of God to keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is to overcome the world? Who is it that overcomes the world? He tells us. It's not the one that works, but the one who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So keeping the commands is a result of loving God, which ultimately is rooted in faith in Christ Jesus. In other words, when we keep God's commandments, we're not keeping them to become his children, but rather because we are already his children by faith in Jesus Christ. And we must not get this order wrong. We do not earn our way into the Father's family. We are adopted. We are brought in by the Spirit of God. We have those rights and privileges as sons and daughters of the Most High God by faith. And that faith transforms us and changes us and we become a new creation. And our new creation heart begins to beat after the things of God to obey him and to honor and glorify our Father. This victory, which Revelation 21 talks about, says that the victorious will inherit all these things, is the victory that comes even through our faith. The result of this faith, which leads us to being born again, reveals itself in our obedience to commands out of love, but it's not our obedience that makes us children. It's faith in Christ. Our loving response to our Father's salvation in Christ is obedience, which is one of the key ways that we as his children are differentiated from the world. But it is not how we become his children. We are victorious in this world through faith. Thus, the one that will inherit the new heavens and the new earth The one who will live forever in the glorious bliss of heaven in the presence of God is the ones who have placed their trust fully in Jesus and turned away from the rebellion of the world. Do you long and look forward to the day when the healing presence of God wipes away every tear? 
Do you long for the day when God's creative power is at work making all things new, righting every wrong? This is a promise that belongs to those that have put their trust in Jesus Christ. It is your inheritance. And I want to encourage you to think about this inheritance this year as you reflect upon a new year with new goals. Get excited about your new goals. Lose the weight, change the diet, get better sleep. Do those things. That's great. But those are not the things that are ultimately going to lead to what your heart so desperately longs for in terms of peace. Those things will let you down. The tires will go flat. Things will break. The supervisor will let you down. The friends will let you down. There's all kinds of things that will let you down. And what John would have us to see is is in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that sorrow, in the midst of that sadness, in the midst of all of our striving to be better here in our our, our new year, it's a faint echo of the newness that's coming. And maybe if we hope in that and we put our focus upon that and we think deeply about what we are inheriting, it will give us a freedom and a peace to be able to live in the presence now with an unshakable, immovable faith, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that it is not in vain. Would you pray with me? As you reflect on the message this week, feel free to reach out to our staff by emailing care at copperfieldchurch.com. We would love to hear from you and pray for you. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and our other podcast, Equipped for Good. Thanks for listening.